It's one of the rules we follow, which is if it's not a yes, it's a no. There is no question. The answer is yes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Making Ways podcast. In our new season, we're bringing together bands and the artists they work with for a conversation about creativity and collaboration. You're going to hear stories that go deeper into the art behind the music that you're going to love, and you're going to get to know bands in a completely new way. I'm your host, Rob Goodman. I'm a longtime music lover. I'm an illustrator, and I've created work for bands like King Crimson, Ben Folds, Guster, Built to Spill. I'm obsessed with the way visual art and music can come together to make a whole that is so much larger than the sum of its parts. In this new season, I've selected bands that have a long-standing creative relationship with their visual artist counterparts. And in today's episode, I'm joined by Laura Lee of the band Krungbin and Nate Utesh, art director at Secretly Group, which includes the band's record label, Dead Oceans. Nate has also worked with Smashing Pumpkins, Weezer, and he's got his own electronic music project called Metavari. In this expansive conversation, we dive into the backstory and origin of the band's new album, Mordecai, how the artwork for the album came together as a collaboration between Laura and Nate, Laura's creative songwriting process, and how mindfulness plays such an important part in her craft. Nate also walks us through the way he works with bands to create incredible packages. If you aren't familiar with Krungbin, their worldly indie rock has an incredibly laid-back groove and funk to it. It's earned the adoration of fans and critics across the globe. That flow that you can hear in the music is so evident in the artwork for Mordecai. The imagery on the cover of a soaring hawk, these plants, rocky terrain, a howling animal, they're done with this really ultra-smooth line work that mimics that connection and flow of the music. The album's title and art direction are centered around an impromptu hike that Laura took with a man named Mordecai and his sons. They're real-world elements from that hike that are weaved beautifully into this illustrated piece that memorializes what Laura experienced that day and how it really changed her life. You'll hear about how Laura started with a rough sketch and then paired up with Nate to bring it into this beautiful, full-color artwork that not only stretches across the album cover, but across all of the branding for the new release. Laura and Nate have worked together on nearly all of Krungbin's albums, so there's a long-standing trust and language that they have built in collaboration with one another. For this record, Nate expanded the visual language of Mordecai across singles, merchandise, and really furthered the story and created a system of artwork that connects every element of the new record. I start things off by asking Laura about her experiences that day on that hike and the initial sketch that ultimately led to her collaboration with Nate and the new album artwork. So the hike was actually in the States, West Coast, but I had friends from London come over and I went camping with them and met Mordecai through them, which is kind of how the whole thing came about. And I went on this beautiful hike last year with the waterfall with Mordecai's twin sons. And we saw a number of things on the way that were symbolically special to me. And that made that day particularly monumental in my own personal life. And when it sort of came to fruition that we were going to call the album Mordecai and that the story was going to be the seed of what the album was going to be, I thought a lot about what makes an album cover iconic or what makes it personal or how do you create something that's original to you? And you can go down a myriad of paths on that. But 
the way I saw the hike was something that nobody else would see. It was an image that only I had in my head. And that's sort of what we went down. I knew that I wouldn't be able to put it in format for an album. I just know how to draw with pencil colors. And so I called Nate and was like, help. <laughs> I'm going to just send you my drawings and see where we go from there. And how early in the process was that? Because was the record recorded in January? We were in the sort of third wave of recording. So it was the last stages of the recording process. And that was when I was drawing. Okay. So you get the sketches around January, Nate. Laura's yep. like, help me figure this out. Right. right. And, and what, what happens next? Well, I'm trying to remember, would it be possible that I got like demos in December? Is that a thing that could have happened? Or November even? It's possible. Maybe it was. I remember having like early things over the holiday break, which was awesome because bands don't always do that with me. So I like got to just sit alone over the holiday and just like completely soak up these early versions or, you know, mid versions of the songs which was yeah you're incredible. right actually studio tends to be a total black hole of time so <laughs> yeah. you're right it was before the holidays because the hike happened in september so i would have been drawing this in my head from then yeah so i got the pencils it was like both the composite and like layered versions i mean it's crazy it's like humbling and also like I felt awkward in that I'm getting something obviously so personal the story let alone the art and it's like if I even move this I feel like I'm in trouble let alone redraw it or whatever you know it's true that I feel like as an art director especially at a label what kind of my job should be is like absorbing this language that Laura is using that Krungbin is using and not give them back something that's in my language, but just repeat their language back to them. But in a way that like I've interpreted it visually, that's going to make them either more proud of it or see it differently, but it's still their language. Like I'm not, myself should not be injected into this where I'm doing it wrong, you know? So to get something visual from Laura was like this whole other beast of like, oh damn, like it's already visual. So I think my first ideas were just taking her art straight up and moving it around, framing it in a way. I can't remember how many iterations we had of that, but at one point it was just a little click for me of like, you know what, what if I just redrew this using her lines as my roadmap? So it's still, the skeleton is hers, but I'm just kind of interpreting this in a way that would maybe come naturally to me or whatever. And I think I'm probably exaggerating this, but I feel like the second maybe that version came in, it was like, all right, we're in. Yeah. There is no question, which is one of the songs from Mordecai, <laughs> uh, but it's one of the rules we follow, which is if there is no question, the answer is yes. Yep. <laughs> if it's not a yes, it's a no. There is no question. The answer is yes. And when that iteration came back to me, it looked like my drawing. It just looked like a more graphic, you know, LP suited sort of version of it because mine was very colored pencil textured. I use like right. oil pencil. So you get that gradient, which is cool in person, but it doesn't really translate when you're reproducing things for vinyl. And then you sort of slanted the waterfall, which created this whole like dimension for me that felt like it was in my mind because a waterfall can't be on its side. So right. then <laughs> that seemed to be symbolic of it being in my mind, which I loved. And because Nate's been working with us 
for the past couple of years, he has a feel for what we like from a text perspective. And when he came back with the actual Mordecai written, and I can't remember what actual typeface it is, but it's so cinematic. That was like real cherry on top. Yeah. It's like so nerdy, but as like a commercial artist, like just that lockup on the back cover just like felt so sweet, you know, like it's just a, such a dorky thing. But, and the fact that they're just all in, like they know that stuff, like not every band is as awesome as Krungbin, but they are. So it just makes it so much more magical. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. And is the story told on the packaging? Is it representative of the music? Is it connected back to that seedling, that hike that generated the music? Is it all kind of intertwined at this point? Like, what do you see between that connection between the actual songs and the visuals? It's not written out on the album because Krungbin feels very strongly about not spelling things out for people. It's like reading a book versus watching a movie. And knowing that the movie is an interpretation of the book rather than fact. And it's allowing the listener to create whatever that is. So it's like, I don't want to tell you what the moon and the hawk and the coyote were on the hike because they probably won't be as good as what you'll make them. They're really good to me, but I don't want to tell you what they are because they're bigger than that. You know, it's perfect. Yeah. But it was enough to feel like I had an original thought and it started from this seedling that only happened to me. And it felt worthy enough to make one of the themes of the record and to make it the visual theme. And the colors feel like the record to me. It's a colorful record. And I think it comes through in the way that Nate helped bring that part to life. Yeah. And Nate, how did the album packaging kind of form a visual system for the singles and for really the whole release around the album? Selfishly, it was kind of a cool thing where in pitching that iteration, it was like, since now I've drawn kind of the final stage of this, if we go this route, then I could draw the singles based on it you know, in a save as kind of way or dreaming up other themes based on videos or whatever else has happened without having to pull Laura away from everything else she has going on in the way that she did for the album art and drawing it first. So yeah, it directly influenced the way that that story was told visually from then on out for sure. That's amazing. And I know it's not apples to apples, but the Pelota animated music video that is just so incredible. Like, I want to watch it every day. Yeah, It's not apples to apples with the illustrated graphic treatment of the album, but it's connected, right? And the storytelling and the motion, it's just, gosh, yeah. it's just yeah. a beautiful piece of work. And that video wouldn't have happened that way had it not been for COVID because we couldn't shoot film. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so we moved to animation, which ended up, actually, you know, opening up a much bigger world. And it couldn't have turned out better. I prefer animated videos in general, but they're costly. And COVID kind of, it helped a little bit with that because more people are available. <laughs> yeah, right. And Laura, I know that you, before starting Krungbin, it was like about six months before that you were starting to learn bass. And earlier on in your career, you were an artist. You still are an artist, but working more visual arts, Widen Kennedy and 
studying architecture and art history. And what kind of lessons did working in the arts kind of apply to your musical life? Like, how is it being a visual artist who's now working mostly in in music? I'm so lucky now because the umbrella of Krungbin gives me the opportunity to use all of my skills, pretty much. I'm not really doing pre-cal anymore. So other than that one, I kind of get to use everything. I think it's just perspective. And I certainly still use a curatorial mind when it comes to Krungbin musically and in terms of like the flow and themes of the record. I think I can use a curatorial mind when it comes to it, but also working with different visual artists to do our posters and stuff for tour. I'm usually pulling artists that don't normally work for bands. They might be doing stuff for magazines or other things, but that don't usually do tour posters. So they get really excited to do a tour poster. And for me, I get excited because we're getting to showcase an artist that doesn't usually do that kind of thing. And I think that definitely comes from that like art history, Wyden Kennedy thing. The other thing that Wyden Kennedy gave me is a wide array of contacts within the creative world that has really come to help me, especially on the music video front. The other thing that I learned from Wyden and Kennedy, which I imagine you also would get from working at a record label, is being in a place where you're surrounded with creatives that actually get projects done. Um, (laughs) Because I was definitely somebody who would start tons of projects and they would get halfway done and never see completion. And when you're working in advertising and you're working to deadlines and people's budgets, there's not an option. And then I think as soon as you hit that point within the music industry, you also hit that, you know, you hit deadlines that people are counting on you for. And so at some point you just have to put the brush down. And I think that was a real thing I took from working in that industry. Is that usually your role in the band or is it kind of equally distributed that kind of like keeping things moving, keeping it going, hitting deadlines? I definitely would say that's me. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. If it were up to Mark, I think we would still be on the first stage (laughs) in the best way. I mean, it's like we have a really good push and pull between us to get things done and also spend time in the different stages. And DJ is just like he hugs us together. But yeah, I'm definitely like the producer of the band in that sense. And Nate, I'm curious about the evolution of working with Krung Bin on the albums leading up to Mordehai. And what it's been like, the development of the relationship and the artistic collaboration. I'm also curious how it compares to other artists that you design for. As an art director at the label, you know, I'm not the assigned illustrator or, you know, like visionary on it all the time. I'm just here to just help learn that band's language and carry it through in whatever means that means if that means finding the go-to illustrator, awesome. That means I'm it, awesome. I mean, selfishly, I want to be it every time, but it's just, that's just not how it works out. Some artists bring a graphic artist with them. Some artists are incredibly talented and just know how to do it. That's how Krungbin is. Like they often have the means to do their art, and it's incredible. So I'm just helping them with layout and getting it set up for production and things like that. So for years, that was kind of our relationship. Like helping carry it through to the finish line and then fill out needs layout wise. Things like one time there was this record that had this incredible 
painted illustration, but no labels. So I was designing the labels to go with it and things like that. So we've just kind of had this working relationship forever where I'm the art director and the production artist. And then all of a sudden, not by any choice, it was just kind of like the evolution just like clicked. It was here's the story of Mordecai and here's the illustrations. And then in the middle of the night, me just saying, you know what, I think I'm just going to illustrate this based on Laura's work and we'll see what happens. And then and there it was. It was just very natural. No like big discussion about it. It was perfect. And to be honest, I don't know if I would have done that with just any band that comes down the pike, a new sign or my first assignment with a band or whatever. Like I just felt comfortable with Krungman and with Laura, especially to just sneak that in and like say, hey, I'm not trying to be a, a rude about this, but I re-illustrated your drawing. Right. <laughs> they know that's fine, you know? And I wouldn't have done that with anybody. And some bands would have really hated that also. So that says heaps about who Krungbin are, for sure. Yeah, it w- works. I mean, it's in that sort of, if there is no question thing, because I think if you had come back, even in that first round, and it would have felt too tensionous, it would have been like, we need to find a new path. But yeah. it, it was easy in that way. And then once we kind of had the route we were going, then it was just about small micro changes. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think I might have had a face on the moon at first. Oh, yeah. And now this moon is like wonderful. I don't even know what I was thinking, <laughs> putting a face on it. <laughs> yeah, it looks sad. And then we're like, the moon's not sad. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would love to see that evolution. I'd love to see the, like, the first sketch down to the new. Yeah, I have them here, and now they seem like such prized things, like my original That's uh, awesome. illustrations. And I want to put them together to sort of yeah. make what the album cover made, but the sizes aren't exactly proportionately right. Right. Um, but I'm going to figure out something. Reproduce them, like frame them next to each other. That would be, that'd right. be incredible. And Laura, I mean, you just put out this new record you're an incredible, incredible touring band. I just love seeing you all live. The thing you do on stage is magical when the three of you are together. And that part is paused at the moment, yet you've released the new music. I also know so much of the styling, the presentation of the band, your outfits changing every night. It's all part of that experience for you all, for the audience and the connection with the music. How has it been kind of hitting pause on a pretty specific dimension of your world, but still wanting to move forward and like get this music out and connecting with people? Yeah, it's definitely not simple. I think the music was there. We finished the music and there was no reason to hold the music back just because we couldn't play live. Because if we take the last few months as an example, we don't know when that is going to happen. So holding back, just so that you can tour the record when it comes out didn't feel like a good enough reason to hold it back. I feel really fortunate that we've been hitting the road so heavily the past few years because in a way, I don't think anyone's missing us. I mean, sure, we're all missing live shows, but it's like we were just out there. I wore 150 plus outfits last year. So I think everyone will be good. Um, (laughs) Oh, we you'll be it. you'll be good pausing that part of your job maybe for for a minute too. For a minute, yeah. It's 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 nice to come back to ourselves and get back to a more nurturing side of life. So yeah, I miss it, and it's hard to feel the connection right now with the fans because we're not out there, and so 
the reception of the album is only what you read and that's skewed. But we have like a Krungbin fan club and I did two private Zoom virtual listening parties the day before the album came out. And we just sat on Zoom and listened to the album in full. And I recognized so many people on the Zoom from our shows, which was really sweet. Oh, wow. So it's been nice to do that. Yeah. And I think we made this record and the last one during tour. It was like we were on tour. We had to push pause for two weeks, go in the studio, record and kind of do things like that. And our goal for the next album was to have more lead time before we went in the studio and to actually have things prepared because we went into the studio this time with no songs written. And I mean, thank God (laughs) we made it. But now we've kind of been given the gift of time. So it's nice to get back to square one and start sending music back and forth between ourselves again, right as an album comes out. It's like, cool, album's out. Let's start working. (laughs) <laughs> that's like where your heads are at because you're like, well, we're not touring and we've, we've had the energy. Let's, let's do something. Yeah. I mean, up until the album came out, I didn't pick up my bass at all this year during quarantine. I think there's something about before it comes out, this feeling that like, I can't work on anything else because it's not done yet. And so I think it was sort of a creative block, but now that it's out there and Mordecai is off doing his thing, It feels like I'm ready to open up a new chapter and see what it looks like. It was really nice on album release day because we're not all together. I was like, what do I want to do within this time? So we just had a Zoom call with the band and Mordecai, who they never met. (laughs) That's awesome. I was just going to ask if Mordecai got like a signed album, something, you know, in the mail. But a Zoom hangout is... uh, pretty fun he was like why did you send me multiple records i was like they're different colors you gotta have (laughs) gotta have one of every color you're a mordecai you know that is fantastic does he get it is he like this is awesome he does not have a turntable so we've got to fix that but yeah it's really cool i think it's really cool for his sons because it was like two weeks after we went on the hike i called him and thanked him for the hike and just like how much I appreciated his sons talking to me and being so open. And they're like, Laura, he's like, Laura, don't get it twisted. It goes both ways. My kids are going to be able to say they went on a hike with a random rock star one day. (laughs) And I was like, no, I'm going to make that better. And I'm going to name the album after the hike. Are Mark and DJ in Houston? DJ's in Houston. Mark is in Oakland. Yeah, we're all the time zones of the states. We've (laughs) got it covered. Right. Perfect for collaboration. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. It's really incredible to hear about. I mean, now that the album's been out, what are your reflections on the progress of the music, this new album compared to the last few? I know there's some more vocals that have made their way onto the record, and I've heard you all talk about that that's not really an intentional thing. It's something you've been pushed into in the past that like hasn't been a fit, but if it works, it ends up there. It just happened. You know, it's like, I want to say the next one won't, (laughs) But then if I say that, then it might. So it's just what happened on this record. I really like it. It was a fun record and it feels lively and it feels like a band that's been on tour to me. It feels fun in that way. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's so smooth. Like the whole record is so smooth. There's so many bright spots to it and dips and movement, but like the whole piece 
goes so well together. It's just like a joy to listen to. Yeah, and, and the visual aspect was really sp- special to me because, you know, I drew years ago, like pre-college, a lot. And I thought that was going to be my thing in life. And when we started the band, I always wanted to have a go at making one of the album covers, but, you know, time or something, some sort of circumstance didn't allow for it. And so it meant a lot to me. It was like I teed it up and then Nate slammed Duncan. <laughs> I've just been watching the Jordan YouTube yeah, series. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And Laura, you, you were describing your new place and I don't know, all the space in the garage studio and this like drawing table. What's happening at that drawing table right now? Like what creative life is, is happening there? I've started these collages that I started in, when lockdown started, which are a mixed media of watercolors and magazine cutouts. They're very fashion focused, I guess, but it's like women with big hats made of different foods. So I have one that I'm calling like garden party and the hat is just made of vegetables. And then I have one that's like a seafood themed one. I did basically found a lot of food magazines and I couldn't go out shopping for other magazines. So I was like, cool, this is what I'm doing. Um, right, right. Wow. So yeah, that's, that they're like landscapes of women being fabulous in food outfits. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Nate, I want to hear a little bit more. So I've been listening to Metavari, which is your electronic music group. I love it. It's awesome. <laughs> so atmospheric, so many layers. You're not going to make me talk about my music during a Krungbin interview. <laughs> that would happen. Do it. <laughs> well, what, what, I, what I want to hear about is like as a musician, as somebody who puts together music, how that influences your approach to working with bands, working with artists, putting mm, together mm. artwork. Right. Because you have like a unique insight from True. your own experiences, a unique empathy yeah. in that kind of collaboration and relationships that you build. No, that's such a good perspective. I mean, really, if I think back, I mean, maybe this is like every like preteen with drums and a guitar, but like all I wanted to do was play music. And art was just like this afterthought because my mom is a commercial artist. So I had Photoshop in the house. So when it was time to make an album cover, it's like, yeah, I'll do it. Not because I want to and I'm going to be good at it, just because it's there in front of me. So I'll take care of it, you know? And then all of a sudden I blinked and... 20 years went by and I'm making album covers for everyone I know and getting really good at it and working at an advertising agency and everything else. And all of a sudden art was my career, but I've, I've always been in bands. It's just always been this kind of like through line in my life. So not that I know what it's like to be in like a, a huge band, like a career musician, but I still tour. I still, you know, have a smaller scale version of those things and I've just been around musicians my whole life. So not that I like get it, get it, but it's just interesting to be a musician and to work with musicians. I think at the very least to understand, because it's hard. I mean, I worked at advertising agencies for 13 years before working for Secretly. And even there, there's this thing that like, I'm an artist, I draw or I illustrate or I, I whatever. That means that what I make is my baby which is so false. Like you're there because you're a commercial artist. You're not painting something for yourself. You have a client. It is not yours. (laughs) And I feel like I had to learn that first for a decade at an advertising agency. And then all of a sudden to be a musician 
and to work with musicians and understand that. I mean, not that it's still not hard sometimes, but it's always like, okay, this will never be mine. So if I can twist their arm a little bit because I can flex or be good at one aspect of this, awesome, let's do it. Because I'm still shallow and have an Instagram profile or whatever. But like, at the same time, this is not mine. So like, whatever needs to happen so that they are happy should make me happy. And most of the time that is how it works, you know, but I'm human and it doesn't always end that way. But (laughs) I think to be a musician and know what it's like to work so hard at the end of a record to get ready to start that album cycle and just be so proud of something. I don't know what it's like to inject a third party graphic artist into that because I always do my own junk. So I'm doing that for someone else and I'm having to understand that like I'm inserting myself into someone else's child here so like back off you know (laughs) yeah i think that 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 selflessness comes through in your work i see it in all of your different work like your hand is there the design is so skilled and proficient and beautiful and representational of the music but there's a selflessness there that i'm in service i'm a servant to this music to this band to conveying this music in the best way possible. That's crazy to hear. I I appreciate that. And also supportive roles are just as important as like a lead role. And it's like, it's about the team. And I know Mm -hmm. within Krongbin, we're really good about knowing that it's not just about any one of us. And because there's three of us, there's always a natural tiebreaker, which is nice, you know, within the band. I mean, it's sort of why we ended up doing most of the artwork ourselves or now with like the help of Nate and past projects because we ran into that dilemma of like, wait, who's the artist? Is it our record? And so it's us or is it the visual artist baby because they're drawing it? It's this tricky situation and you don't want to have that like too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing. Right. But you have had, you've run into like some roadblocks in the past, whatever kind of collaboration where it's like, hey, like where are we orienting? Yeah, and not even, you know, a little bit in Krungbin, but not even necessarily in Krungbin, just in general. That's a fine line to walk. And I saw it within the advertising world when people that worked in advertising would want to do stuff more in like a music or more creative industry. They ran into those roadblocks because... It's like, wait, but as the director, my role is this. Mm. But then you're like, but in music, the director is the artist. So it's just tricky to figure out how everybody fits in. I never felt any sort of push-pull with Nate working on this, which made it really easy because you're talking about an album that's so personal and artists are so sensitive. (laughs) So I think you being a musician and an artist probably gives you a level up in that emotional boundary setting. You already get it. You get like the symbiosis, the relationship Mm -hmm. there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's it like that kind of like ball passing between members of Krungbin? Like uh, (laughs) in terms of feedback, ownership, decision making. Like you said, all right, great. We always have like a third 
vote, you know, you're helping like drive things forward, as you said. How do you balance that? And sometimes it's just the right combination of people, right? Like the Beatles were the Beatles because it was those four people and it worked. Like you change one ingredient, it can change the entire recipe. Totally. We have a good team and we are very well balanced. I am the driver, so to speak. And I think if there was another one, we might move too fast in a way. And Mark's the genius, you know, (laughs) Mark's the genius and DJ is the great foundation and grounder. And we kind of need all of those pieces. But I think part of the way musically that it works is because we each have our own time with each song. So I take that drum loop and I sit by myself and write the bass line. So I have my own time with it. And then when I play it for everyone, then they curate me and say, I like this part. I like this part. And it's like, okay, cool. I'm not going to get attached to those other parts. And if I am, I'll let you guys know and we'll work from there. But everybody has their own time with each song and then we curate each other. And then sometimes what will happen, one common, I think it happens every record, is that Mark thinks a song is too pretty. And DJ and I are like, it's pretty. What's wrong with pretty? You know, know, and so we'll, we'll go down that path. And a lot of times it will end up that we'll record two versions and we'll allow each version to simmer. And we'll come back in a week and say, what do you prefer? And unless somebody is 100% digging their heels in saying, I do not like this or this has to go on there, then it will fall back on majority rules. (laughs) Is there a song that you put your foot down on like past records where you're like, we have to do this or it never got to that? On Friday morning, which is a track off Contoto Mundo, Mark really wanted it to be a fade out. And I really wanted it to be a hard ending because I think fade outs can be overused. It's sort of like, there's something about it that feels slightly like cheating unless you really want it to feel like the song goes on forever. Right. We frequently have a fade out battle. And I think on that (laughs) one, we actually made it so that it did have a hard stop but you actually have to really turn it up to hear it. And it sounds like a fade out, but there is a hard <laughs> stop. Great. So everybody, got, everybody, got everybody wins. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is hysterical. How did the dynamics change or stay the same when you worked with Leon Bridges for Texas Sun? An EP I love, by the way. It's beautiful. Thank you. That was really easy. I just think at this point in my life, working relationships are not worth it being too difficult. It's like... Life is hard already. So if you're going to work with people, hopefully the dynamics are good. It's just like, I don't want to have to have a fight about that kind of thing. It was really easy. You know, Krungbin just wants to make music and we had a singer that just wants to sing and it felt like a real natural fit. I think the way we record and the sort of vibe of the studio is different to what Leon is used to. I think he probably is in fancy recording studios And we could do that, but we've chosen to always kind of have a living room vibe. And I think when he was in it, he was like, this is the chillest session I've ever been in. (laughs) Was he at the the barn? He didn't come to the barn because we didn't have enough time to do that. But he came to Steve, our engineer's studio in Houston. It's like a live workspace. It has all the gear that we like, but there's cats running around and there aren't that many dishes, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, It feels real in there. But it was, it was easy. You know, he just kept singing. He's like one of those people that has words 
and melodies forever. And Steve put a mic in front of him while he sang. And then he left. And then we wrote the music around those recordings. Wow. Yeah, it was like an interesting project, but it felt like a very similar process and it didn't feel harder. In addition to his work with Krungbin and Secretly Group, Nate Utesh Moonlight's designing albums for some of my favorite bands, like Weezer, Whitney, and Sharon Von Etten. But I was most curious to learn about Nate's work with Billy Corgan and Smashing Pumpkins. Nate designed the artwork for the Pumpkins' big return with Shiny and Oh So Bright Volume 1 and worked on their latest record, Seer. The work is absolutely brilliant, and I asked Nate how he connected with the band and his creative process for that artwork. I have a, an after-hours gig with a good friend of mine that calls himself Tension Division. And he's just like this incredible industry graphic artist. He was a musician, touring musician for a long time. And he's got this amazing network and all this crazy stuff happening. And Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan came in front of him and they wanted to work on something that felt very... Um, Art Deco? Art no. Deco. And I had just done something like that for my own record. And didn't pan out. It was like for the center of a gatefold and it ended up not being a gatefold. So I posted it online and he saw it and was like, oh my goodness, like I'm getting ready to work on something with Smashing Pumpkins and it's that, like it's that style. Can we do this together? So we talked about kind of the figure that would be the hero image and I just started sending sketches and going back and forth and it turned into like now a long time working relationship with him and with Billy and Smashing Pumpkins and became the album cover. It was crazy. It was awesome. Yeah, especially because it was like, you know, again, as an art director, I feel like I'm not a guy that has like a style. There's so many artists in the world that you think about them and you know that style. But my job has always been just to do whatever it takes to like get it done. I've really had a hard time with that over the years. That like I've never had this like thing that's my thing. But in that case, it was interesting because it was this direct response to art that I had just done. So it was like, that might not be my thing, but you just did it. So do it again on this. And I could, and it was great. That's amazing. <laughs> what What did you study in school? Were you, you were at Purdue? Yeah. You're based in Indiana? Yeah, Fort Wayne's IU campus. Okay, cool. What did you study? Design, graphic design? Yeah, it was commercial art with a concentration in illustration. Okay. Yeah, I mean, for that record, it was just incredible to see it everywhere because that was like their big comeback tour. You know? Right, I felt so much pressure on that. Like the music <laughs> is one thing, but it's also like, I say this as an artist, but I feel like your first impression can often be that album cover, especially on kind of like those legacy bands, you know, they return and everyone wants to just rip apart the album art that is the return of that band. So man, I felt yeah. kind of horrible doing it, but it was awesome. <laughs> I still buy records based on covers. Yeah. Good. Awesome. <laughs> I still do it. I mean, Contado Mundo was like a little bit of a reaction. I mean, it doesn't look at all like what we had up as our reference points, but we really like bargain bin records where it's like a photo of the artist in the square and the text above and below, and it's just like, yep. you know, really simple, and there's something like bad about it, but right, right. but amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like so easy almost, but it's not. Yeah. It looks like a retro software where it's like 
build a square. Right, right. <laughs> Do you all consider the audience's experience with the albums are so different nowadays than they were 10, 20, you know, longer years ago, right? Like when you're designing, we're, we're conceptualizing, are you thinking like, hey, for myself, I want this to be a brilliant vinyl. The super fans, they're going to get it. Are you thinking about like what's going to end up digital and in between? Like, how do you kind of accept the state of the mediums of music at this point and the connection to art as you're building it out? I mean, my heart is a vinyl record, you know, yeah. when it comes down to it. It feels like a complete thought. It's like an art collection versus one painting. And so I, I will always kind of have that forefront in your mind. But I think every medium now is an opportunity. So it's sort of like you have the opportunity to wow people with the album if they do decide to buy the vinyl, but you still want to wow them in the other ways. And so it was like, for this album, we did this thing with Spotify where there's like an enhanced album and there wasn't a roadmap for it. There had only been a few that had gone out before and they were giant artists like Taylor Swift. So they're very different in terms of, you know, how they would, I don't know, put themselves out there. So we didn't have a roadmap and we didn't know what to do. And it was like, how do we use this as an opportunity to connect with people and to still make it feel very Krungbin within this new digital presentation that hasn't existed really before? You know, I'd worked with Nate on a music video before where we used like a VHS sort of processor. I don't really know. He knows. Uh, <laughs> to make it feel a little bit textured and dirty because Krungbin likes that. We don't like the clean perfection of sound. And so we wanted the visuals to reflect that. And so we kind of used that same format for these videos that we put on Spotify. Like, let's put some VHS-ness, even though it's coming out on a very modern, you know. <laughs> right, right. Like make it evocative of the feel of like the time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The only roadmap we had was that they wanted it to feel like the liner notes of an album that you don't really get anymore because you're listening to music in the modern age. And so it was like, okay, well, how do we make videos feel like liner notes? And we had to go down that. And we're in COVID and we're not all together. So right. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Send me cell phone photos of you guys talking like that kind of thing. It's just crazy. Yeah. And then I'll run them through my weird VCR and we'll see what happens. <laughs> totally. Nate, what was that story with the with this like VHSified video? I think you had told me a little bit about it, like that you were like had to eventually like film the TV with the VHS playing. Yeah, or... I mean it's like my favorite secret weapon. I'm just like waiting for a band to say, "Hey, what are the chances you could do something that feels like a VCR for us?" <laughs> um, I just have this gear. I wish I could turn the monitor around. I have just this setup. It's this old circuit bent video processor running through an old VCR going through a CRT television that gets filmed. So a lot of times I'll just hook up the output of my monitor through all those devices. Could be a JPEG, could be a video, and then just mess with this circuit bent device. And it just creates this, sometimes it's just warmth. Sometimes it's like analog glitches and bad tracking and crazy colors, all kinds of stuff. I didn't do the music video. The music video was done, but it just needed like this extra little thing on it. So I ran the whole video through this and we just pulled out parts that we liked, removed stuff that was too glitchy, whatever. And it just kind of added this little thing, little layer to that video. 
was that the first thing I did? Oh no. And we did like the pronunciation guide. Oh yeah. Krungbin pronunciation guide. Yeah. Nice. Well, that video is the video for Como Me Quieres, my best friend who's a photojournalist. I had her curate this video and the song was an ode to my grandfather and he was really into his birthday all birthdays, but his birthday specifically. So I had all the footage shot on his birthday and all around the world by different photojournalists around the world. And she put it together in this incredibly profound, beautiful way. She layered video on top of each other and she created landscapes that wouldn't be possible otherwise. But it was very clean and Krungbin doesn't do that. And it was definitely (laughs) one of those hard conversations with her because we're best friends. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I've got to like make this dirty. I've got to like throw this in the garbage bin a little while and like pull it out. And she had to take that supportive approach and be like, well, ultimately it's yours and you know your fans and I have to take your lead on it. I'm curious for both of you, what puts fuel in your creative tank? Laura, you've talked about that Krungbin like hits everything. It's like an umbrella to include everything. But are there times when you come back from tour or when you're trying to like recharge, are there other things that you do? Is it going to shows? I know you've talked about cooking a lot now. You're in quarantine. I think it's everything. I've always been a Jill of all trades, master of none. And I think that sometimes that's my skill is like not being too good at anything. Because sometimes having a macro perspective is important. You know, and I'll go in the studio in the mixing times and I'm like, can we make this less velvety and more chocolatey? Does that make sense? You know, as I don't know what the actual thing is, but I think that's my skill. And so cooking, taking walks, to me, all of those things are all part of the same thing. There's inspiration everywhere. And I think I learned within this album, like about songwriting, is that it seemed like such a daunting task to write words to a song. And what would you write about? And then it was like, actually, I have all these stories to write about. And then you walk down the stairs and you're like, actually, I could have written a song about walking down the stairs and made it sound really profound. Um, (laughs) It's everything for me. It's not a particular thing that sparks it. Yeah. There's a lot of awareness, though, in what you're describing, like a lot of awareness and being in the moment, being aware of how you're feeling, what's happening around you. Is that something that you've had to work on a lot? Yeah, I'll definitely say my... uh, amazing therapist I work with every week. He always tells me to think about my tombstone. Like if there's one sentence that summed me up at the end of my life, what do I stand for? And I think that word for me is adventure. I'm always up for an adventure, whether that's in touring, whether that's starting a band, you know, whatever of the various things I've done in my life. What I've been learning to do, especially in COVID is find the adventure in everything. It's like, there, there is an adventure to be had walking down the stairs if you want it to be. And so I think that's my fuel. It's a good lesson. I'm going to try that out. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, what about you? Like you have so many projects you're working on, like everything yeah. with Secretly, Metavare, other albums, like family. Right. It really changes, you know, on a very like surface kind of way. I just, I love film and I love like, weird, messed up film, like kind of fever dream stuff is inspiring to me because it's beyond like a screenplay. I've always really latched onto that, especially in like scoring and that part of my life, the instrumental 
cinematic stuff. But it's also weird too, because while I'm not like very religious now, I was raised in a pretty religious home and this idea, you know, like God is everywhere kind of thing. I feel like I still have that like innately in me and like a level of just like finding inspiration in everything. It's like corny, but it's so like very real. I'm a newish dad. I have a toddler. So like seeing everything through his eyes is like literally all the things that people say. And it's, yeah, that's like literally probably the number one thing that I find just any joy, any life in right now is just experiencing anything from the walk from our house to the studio to like E.T. for the first time with him. It's just <laughs> insanity. Love it. Oh, man. <laughs> That's incredible. Laura, how do you think being in a band has kind of helped grown you as a, a person? Like, how has it changed you? You had this career beforehand. Music was kind of a new thing. And now you're, I mean, you're playing for so many people and you're in this world where you're in the spotlight so much. It's literally changed everything. But I will say that it's the first time I haven't felt lost has been since Krungbin has been my main thing. I'm a hard worker and I will find purpose in whatever I'm doing. And so in my jobs beforehand, I still showed up. You know, I turned up every day as if that were going to be my thing. But I never felt like it was. And I remember years ago when my friends were talking about having kids and they were like, you know, do you want one? And I was like, I do, but I haven't done my thing yet. And they're like, well, what's your thing? I was like, I don't know, you know, but I know that there is going to be a thing. And then I found it. You know, Krungvin has been a healing thing for myself, but it's amazing because we get to do something that heals other people and hearing the stories that have come out, especially with this record, I think in particular, maybe because there are words or a story attached, but the amount of messages that have come through with really heavy stories of how it impacted people. You know, when you talk about having a sense of purpose, it's like, you know, I really have that now. And the relationship between DJ and Mark and me is really inspiring just from a relationship perspective. We've really stuck through a lot of hard fought battles, you know, physically on tour and emotionally in a creative sense and all kinds of things. It's been incredibly powerful and life-changing, but I really do think like the main thing is that I, I wake up knowing what I'm supposed to do and that's huge. <laughs> Because I was definitely like a lost soul. It's like I studied art history and architecture and I taught math and I worked in advertising and I bartended. It was like I never had a thing. And now it's like, oh no, Laura Lazy is Laura Lazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he requires a lot of attention. <laughs> That's your uh, stage persona? Yeah, I'm Laura Lee. She's Lazy. Uh, <laughs> we get along. Yeah. Uh, but she's definitely the handful. She likes to party. You like to cook. Yeah. <laughs> but that's such a beautiful thing. Like to see an artist just find the zone, find the purpose, right? And then like yeah. the universe is basically conspiring around that <laughs> to like see you off into the world. Yeah. I remember hearing, you know, people would talk about like performers, especially like, oh, they're one person off stage. And then when you see them on stage, you're like, oh, that's who they are. And when I first started in the band, I was terrified of being on stage. And I was like, oh, no, maybe that doesn't fit me. But actually, it totally does, just in a much bigger way. Where does that terror go? 
what happens to that terror? Is it still around before you go on stage? Does it fuel the performance? Like, what do you do with that? Channel it. It's a very powerful thing to channel emotion into creativity. It doesn't have to be on stage. It can be playing in your bedroom. But channeling energy, especially like ones of fear or anxiety, and you turn them into this beautiful thing, that is so powerful. And when you can learn to do that, it's a game changer. I think a lot of the stage stuff just came with time and came with practice. I mean, when we went on tour with Father John Misty four years ago, you know, we're not the band that we are now. (laughs) We learned a lot from him. And then, you know, we learned a lot from ourselves on the road that we have definitely evolved. You're working 23 hours a day for your one hour of glory. And that hour became home to me. The hour on stage every day ended up being the place I felt at home because the rest of the time you're in airplanes, buses, whatever, just getting to that spot. My favorite moment used to be when I got off stage because it was done. And then you get to just hear how great you were. (laughs) And (laughs) And now my favorite moment is, is trying to be as present on stage as possible because those are the shows that are the most memorable to you because you were there the whole time and you weren't in your head the whole time. Do you have like practices or tricks to stay present in that moment? What do you do when you start to, your mind starts to drift? Meditation is the way forward in terms of that stuff because if you can sit in silence for 10 minutes, just listening to the sounds around you and, you know, smelling the smells around you or whatever, if you're there, then it's a training ground for when you're on stage because you're using the same muscle memory that you are in meditation on stage where you're just present and you're just thinking about the task at hand. But also as a math person, it's eliminating possible fails. So it's like making sure that I don't have outfit malfunction possibilities or anything that could take my mind off of being there. Yeah. Nate, what's next for you? What are you working on now? And as we close, I also wanted to hear, Nate, just about your process in terms of like creating. You're on paper, you go digital, using all different tools. Yeah. What am I working on? I don't know what I can talk about. (laughs) Um, A bunch of albums that haven't been announced yet. Right. Uh, I'll (laughs) say there may or may not be a second volume of a volume talked about earlier on this call that I have pencils due tomorrow for. That's exciting. So there's one thing. Um, I'm also working on my first film score that wasn't just like a friend or someone, you know, with one degree of me, it's a short film director in LA that approached the band. And that's a dream. I mean, my career is art, but music is still my number one. So I'm just excited to no end about working through this process with them. Those are the the big things right now, for sure. Congrats. Yeah. Congratulations on that, the soundtrack. And what, what is your process usually in terms of creative design? It also changes. I feel like I am as type A as I feel like I am when I'm stressed out. I'm actually a pretty disorganized person. And I, I feel like I never return to like the same rhythms in, in that process that I feel like a lot of people do, good or bad. Trying to get better about like kind of mood boarding that initial phase with the band, especially when I'm not fully designing it to help us kind of get locked in and find the center of the thing. And then it just, it starts with sketches because I am an illustrator. I, a lot of it lean towards that, whether it's hand-drawn type or illustration. A lot of it starts with sketches and thumbnailing. 
it's easy to put type on a photo and call it a day. And I feel like a lot of bands default to that, you know, come to the table with the four photos they love and, hey, we're already done. Just pick the one you like and let's talk about fonts. So I try to like back up and diplomatically think of other ways to approach it than just putting the font on the photo, you know, process just feels all over the place. But I think that what's most important lately is like just this thumbnailing aspect of the cover and thinking about it in the tiny squares that are our first impressions of it now in this new world. I mean, it's not a new digital world anymore. It's like Spotify's existed forever, but it's like such a monolith that you can't ignore those little first impressions and thumbnailing the cover has just become really important. I think if I were an artist that had like this thing, then I could tell you how I do that thing. But instead, I'm just (laughs) all over the place every day working on three to six covers at any given time sometimes. And it's just like, it's madness. But but it's awesome. Like I'm, I'm really lucky. It's absurd, actually. I remember being 14, 15, borrowing my dad's camera, standing on their bathroom sink and taking a picture of my sister's hamster in the sink for an album cover because I thought it'd be funny and make a cool photo. I'd develop it in the lab at school. And just thinking to myself, like, wouldn't it be cool if that was a job? Like if a job was making album covers. It, and I didn't think I want to do this. I just thought, wouldn't it be cool if that was a thing? And so many years later, it is a thing as it ends up. And I have it. It is my job. Like, that's stupid. <laughs> I'm, I'm really lucky. <laughs> yeah. It's such a dream. Work with musicians all the yeah, time. Yeah. Well, brilliant work, Nate. I love your design so much. And I love hearing about the process behind making Mordecai and all the albums that you've been working on. Laura, it's such a treat to meet you. I love Krung Bin and I'm such a fan and I'm excited to see you all after all of this and (laughs) we can go see live music again. Thank you. It's really nice to talk about this aspect of the album with Nate. It's cool. This is awesome. Yeah. It's like, I've been in interviews a lot lately, but I don't get to talk about the artwork process. So this is actually a treat for me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Major thanks to Laura Lee from Krungbin for an amazing conversation and for taking us deeper into the musical making process. Nate Utesh, thank you so much for joining and sharing your creative wisdom. I learned so much about the value of artwork in service of a larger vision. Nate's commitment to the band and the music and that creative collaboration with Laura is so critical to that visual world that they built together that really expands upon the audio soundscapes from the album. It was just brilliant to discuss it all together. I hope you enjoyed this episode and took something away from it that you can use in your creative practice too. For me, that idea that Laura spoke about with mindfulness and awareness at the center of her creative experience, that she could be anywhere doing anything and inspiration is right there on tap just by her living in the moment. That was really powerful to hear and to get to know that the everyday can be incredible fodder for creativity. I really love this band and their music. And when you can, go out and see them live. In the meantime, listen to all their records, pick them up. You can get Krungbin's music everywhere where music is streamed. You can buy their physical albums, which of course I recommend since you'll get more of Nate's brilliant artwork. You can check out krungbin.com for more. You can see Nate's artwork at utesh.xyz. And you can dig on some of his music with Metavare too. I hope you'll subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. And if you like what you heard, please post a review on Apple Podcasts. 
throw us five stars. That would mean so much. Making Ways is created, hosted, and illustrated by me, Rob Goodman. If you've got a music and art project you'd love to collaborate on, reach out and say hi. I'd love to hear about it. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at the Rob Goodman. You can follow the show on Instagram at making.ways or visit us online at makingwayspodcast.com to suggest guests or topics for upcoming shows. You can also go deeper into each episode and see the original artwork I made for this episode and the entire season. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you soon.